You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Welcome to Whitefields. Go ahead and take your seats. We are in the middle of a series here at Whitefields called Church Matters. This is a four-week series in which we are talking about, first of all, why church matters to God, to us, and to the world. And we're also talking about what are the kind of things that matter to us as a church here at Whitefields. And so uh, the first week we talked about mission. Then we talked last week about the gospel. And this week we're going to be talking about worship. And because uh, we have a pastor on staff with us, who that's his wheelhouse, that's what he does. He's our worship pastor. We're going to have him speak today. Some of you have, you've seen him here. His name's Mike, Mike Payne. He's been with us since July as our worship pastor, so we're excited to not only have him lead us in worship today, but also get to hear from him on this topic, which is so near to his heart. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Revelation chapter 5, and let's just read together. Revelation chapter 5, verses 8, and if you uh, have the version Bible, you'll find all the notes and things that I'll talk about today. You'll find it in the event app, starting in uh, verse 8 through verse 14. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this picture that you give us in heaven, them worshiping. Worthy is the lamb that was slain and that we can come here today in freedom and come and worship and sing with our hearts, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Lord, as we look at this topic, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would just anoint this time where our hearts and minds would be open. That you would speak, Lord, by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you think of when you think of the topic worship? What comes to your mind? Does it make you think of your favorite style of music, maybe? Or is it that time before the sermon, you know, before the guy gets up to talk? Is that that music time before the talking time? Maybe it's your favorite section in, in, your, in a Christian bookstore, if those even still exist today. Or maybe we'd say your favorite section on Amazon Prime, you know. Or maybe you don't even like to sing, and so you kind of show up late and kind of skip all that singing part and get to the good part. You know, get to the, skip the worship part and get to the sermon part. Well, theologian David Peterson says this, that defining words is important because not only do we use words, but words use us. That's true even if we're unaware of it. Once we assign meaning to a word, it both reflects and shapes our worldview. For example, both Muslims and Christians use the word God, but they could not be more oppositely opposed to one another. One is a God of anger, one is a God that might let you into heaven if you complete 
the five pillars and these tasks, and then you still don't know. But our God, the one we worship this morning, it's by grace that we're saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, a God of love, a God who sent his son on your behalf and my behalf to die for us. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, we could have a great discussion about Jesus until we define what Jesus means. For them, he is a created being. You know, he is the brother of Lucifer, Satan. For us, he's the second person of the Trinity. He is God. He is God and man. God who came, left his glory and came and dwelt among us that we might be saved. Completely different. Same word, but two different definitions. With all the variety of churches, denominations, it's, it's not always clear what we mean when we use the words that we use. And worship, I believe, is one of these words. And I think it's important for us to define and be clear what we mean when we use the word worship. That is easier said than done because the topic of worship is simple on one level but deep and complex on another because worship is about relationship and relationships grow deeper and richer, more complex as time goes by. As we invest in them, as we become more vulnerable, as we learn to trust, it's about all of life, but it's also about this fellowship and unity that we have in church. Now, we're going to dive into a th- few things today, but, for the, but this morning I really had a burden to share just this broad and simple way to look at worship. If you just step back and look at all of Scripture and take this just broad look at what worship is, I think it's an important perspective for all of us to have in our lives So if there's anything that you take away from today, anything that you take away from today, I would like you to take this away. Worship is an end in itself. It is the final destination. Worship is rest. Let me say that again. Worship is an end in itself. It is the final destination. Worship is rest. Now, what do I mean by that? Our worship service here is not a stop along the way to some greater experience with God or some doorway or elevator to a greater intimacy with Jesus. No, it is the destination. It's the place of rest. It is. It is an end in itself. Now, many of these things that happen in church, they will, many things happen as a result of us finding our rest in the Lord. We grow. We are inspired. We have boldness. We are healed. We go out and serve the Lord. These things happen, it's true. We grow closer to God. But it's a result of finding rest in the Lord. Worship is going to be the activity of heaven as we saw in our text here in Revelation 5. Our final rest in the presence of God. Free from pain, free from sin, free from tears, free from illness, free from anxiety. Aren't we looking forward to those days? People come to church for various reasons. Maybe you're here for various reasons. But can I say to you, this is where you need to be today. You've chosen the good thing to be here this morning. It's good that you are here in the presence of God, at the feet of Jesus. There's nothing more important in life than us being here this morning and studying his word and worshiping together. And maybe for you it was a struggle to get to church this morning. Didn't sleep all night. Kids kept you up. Baby crying. Nobody wanted to get in the car. You get here, get them into children's ministry. You sit down in your chair and you're like, ah, I've arrived. Yes, you have arrived in more ways than one. Just rest. Rest here in the Lord. Maybe you have serious issues that you're dealing with today. You know, things going on in your life, overwhelming circumstances, concerns, illnesses. Rest 
in the Lord today. Will all your problems be solved today? I don't know. But I know a God who knows you. He sees your life. He sees your heart. And he loves you. And he wants to speak into your life today. Last week we ran in this race, the Sunrise Stampede. Some of you might have seen it up on the city. And, uh, you know, the church, we sponsored, sponsored the race and we put up a booth and stuff. And my son and I, we ran the two-mile race together. You know that feeling when you cross the finish line? And I was like, ah, oh, that, that feeling of relief. You've given it all. You've given it all. That's what I want you to feel this morning. And when you come to church on Sunday mornings, I want you to feel that, that relief. I'm here. I'm arrived. I'm at the feet of Jesus. You've been running that rat race of life, you know, that's just Monday through Saturday, all the things. You know, we've been back to school, some of you since Tuesday, getting up early morning, you know, running around. You know, there were no number two pencils in Walmart in Longmont last week. I don't know if you knew that. There was a shortage of number two pencils. There's a serious epidemic going on in this country, you know. There are things that we have to deal with. But you come here Sunday morning, rest in the Lord. Rest in his love for you. Rest in the knowledge God, rest in his grace. That was the scene in Revelation chapter 5. We didn't read the verses before, but there was trepidation. There was, there was anxiety. John says, I wept. There was no one found worthy to open the scroll. And then Jesus was there, and he was found worthy. And there was a sense of relief that rushed through heaven. And the verses that we read, that was the result. Worthy as the lamb was slain. There was worship that was happening. There was singing that was happening. People bowing down and worshiping. Uh, Worthy as the lamb that was slain. He has redeemed us to God. We need to be like Mary at the feet of Jesus. You know the story, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus comes into this village and he goes into this house of a woman named Martha. And Martha has a sister named Mary. And Mary, as Jesus walks in, Mary just goes to the feet of Jesus and listens to him teaching. And Martha, she, it says she's all about doing a lot of business, was distracted with much serving. And so she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. What was Jesus' reply? The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You have chosen the good portion this morning to come and sit at the feet of Jesus. Listen to his word and what the Holy Spirit might speak to your hearts today. As you come every week, that is what you're doing. There's a time and a place to be a Martha. There's a time and a place for us to go out on mission, to go out to the Sunrise Stampede and run around and then, you know, witness to people as they come up and ask about our church. There's a time for that. Today, it's a time to be like Mary. So as you come on Sunday, as you worship through music, as you hear the word being preached, just rest in the Lord. Know that, that you are where you are supposed to be today. And let the glory of God in his unconditional love just wash over you. Let God just make, him, make you aware of how much he loves you through the sacrifice that was made through his son on the cross for us as we celebrated that today in communion. We remember every week. Hebrews chapter 4 says, enter into my rest. That's what it's all about. Communion, it's not, it's, a, it's, it's resting what, finished work of Jesus Christ. So if you only have a short attention span today and that's all you can take, that's all I want to leave, with you, leave you with today. Worship is rest in the presence of God. Rest in the things that the Lord has done. Just respond and rest in all that he is to you. But if you're still with me, we can go on a little longer. 
Let us look at what Jesus says about worship. John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. And while you're turning there, just let me give you a bit of context and background to to the scene that we have here. Many of you know the story. It's Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritans and Jews have a bitter rivalry. And it goes back centuries when the Syrians came in and they attacked the northern part of Israel and they took away 30,000 Israelites and they replaced them with people from other cultures and, and backgrounds. And, all, and uh, because of this, the, the Jews, their, their spirituality, their, the, the racial part of them was defiled. They were no longer pure Jews. And of course, this created bitterness. This created strife. And the Jews would not accept the Samaritans. Even when they came, the Jews came back from Babylonian, Babylonian um, exile, the Samaritans tried to welcome them, tried to reconcile with them when the Jews wanted nothing for these half-breed people. And so there was a bitterness and, and a real um, hatred that was between the Jews and the Samaritans. And of course, the Samaritans also had a whole... They believed some of the things the Jews did, but they, their theology had, had drifted over the centuries and they only believed in the, the first five books of the Bible and they believed that, that uh, they had to worship on this mountain while the Jews had to worship on the other mountain and of course this was the hang up of the Samaritan woman and so there, this is the scene that Jesus walks into and not only that but rabbis of the day would, n- would not acknowledge women in public they wouldn't even talk to women in public wouldn't even talk to their own wives in public and here we have Jesus on the scene he's about to drop one of the greatest biblical truths to an adulterous woman. Not only is she just a woman, she's an adulterous woman at a well in a forbidden land, even perplexing his own disciples. So let's not let the significance of this, of this scene be lost on us as we read these words. John 4, verse 23 and 24, it says, But the hour is coming and now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So as we looked in the introduction, this topic of worship can be hard to pin down, but here Jesus is going to give us a definitive definition. So what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? First of all, let's look at worshiping in spirit. I think there are two ways that we can understand what Jesus is saying here. I think in light of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3, if you remember that story, Nicodemus, of course, goes out in in the the secret of the night, and he goes to Jesus, and he says, Teacher, how can I be saved? And Jesus says, Well, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus, of course, is like, Well, I got to get back in my mother's womb and be born again. In both these stories, you will see that both characters, the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus, they're both talking on, on earthly plane, and Jesus is talking on an heavenly plane. And sometimes I wonder in our Christian lives, where we are sometimes thinking that way. God is speaking on a spiritual plane and we're like, we're caught up with the things of the world because that's what, of course, we see. That's our downfall many times. But Jesus says, no, you have to be born of the Spirit, Nicodemus. You've got to be born, born again. And so we see that for in order for us to truly worship the one and true living God, we need to be born of the Spirit. We need to be born again. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says... The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In 1 Corinthians 15, 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit 
the imperishable. As one of my favorite authors puts it, worship is our God-enabled participation in the Son's exaltation of the Father in the power of the Spirit. You know, we were all, we were all worshiping creatures. We were born worshiping, and it's because of our sinful nature that our, the objects of our worship have changed. It is in our very nature to worship. In the immortal words of that great theologian, Bob Dylan, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it might be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, if you don't know who Bob Dylan is, I know there are a few gray-haired people here You know who Bob Dylan is. You can look him up later. But you're going to have to serve somebody. He knew, he understood. You're going to have to serve somebody. We all serve something in our life. What is the object? But the hour is coming, he says, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Those true worshipers, you and I, who have made Jesus the object of our worship and our greatest affections. He is our true hope and the joy of our salvation. We have counted the cost and said, Jesus, you are the one I desire to serve with my life. Born again. Born of the Spirit. And if you are here today and these words don't ring true, you don't believe that you've been born of the Spirit and born again, please come talk to me. We'll talk to Nick afterwards. We want to pray with you. We want to, want to see you one day in that throng in Revelation 5. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Don't let this opportunity go by today. But then secondly, because we are born in the Spirit and God is Spirit, our worship can come from our hearts and not be dependent on ceremonies or liturgies or going to that mountain or to this mountain. Of course, as the Samaritan woman, that was her main hang-up. God is not confined anymore to a particular place. We don't have to go up to Jerusalem every year and worship at the altar as the Jews had to do. We can engage with him anytime in any place, at your home, in your car, while you're running, you know, in, in, as you're walking the dog at work, and even here as you come to church. To worship in spirit is to worship with your mind, will, and emotions. All of who you are responding to all of who God is. Let me say that again. To worship in spirit is to worship with your mind, will, and emotions. All of who you are responding to all of who God is. And all of who God is, the ens- is the essence of worshiping in truth. We cannot worship that which we don't know. The truth of who God is is found in the pages of this Bible, and that's why we place a huge emphasis at this church at teaching this Bible. Every word, every chapter, every book, we want to get through it. We want to teach the whole counsel of God from beginning to end. It's only when you take the time to internalize all of the the Bible says about God's character, his sovereignty, his holiness, his transcendence, his imminence, his justice, his grace, his love, and many, many more characteristics do we finally start to find that place of rest we were talking about earlier and to start to respond in awe and wonder to all that he has done for us and means to us. And then it is the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of the cross of Christ, the truth of his death in our place, the truth of his righteousness that covers our sin, the truth of the resurrection, the truth that we will spend eternity with him one day. These are the truths that we respond to and engage our spirits in worship. You can't have one without the other. Worship in the spirit without truth leads to empty emotionalism and leads to exalting experience over biblical truth. Worship in truth without the spirit leads to dead churches and dead religion and leads to joyless legalism. God is spirit 
And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Because, you know, it's not about you and I. It's about Jesus. We took communion today. It's about Jesus. It's about the finished work of the cross on our behalf. You're saved by grace, not of any works. And I don't want to offend anybody this morning, but when I got up, I didn't prepare our songs this morning and play my guitar and prepare the sermon for you. I prepared all of these things because of the work that God is doing in my life and my response to the revelation of God's work in my life daily as I try and rest in him, as I wrestle with life and wrestle with the Bible and, and commune with him. My worth is in him, not in what I do, not in my guitar. As I meditate on the cross, rejoice in the resurrection, look forward to the hope of his returning, and I look forward to the hope of his returning. We were talking about that at the men's study this week. You know, but God is going to return. It's eminent. It's exciting. And what are we doing? What are we doing? When you are singing, what are you responding to? What is your motivation? You may not have the greatest voice this morning, but you know you have the greatest song to sing. We read it today, Psalm chapter 40. It was in our call to worship. Read it again. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my feet secure. He put a new song in my heart, a song of praise to our God. Is that your story this morning? You were stuck and God pulled you out. It was my story. Romans said, I was an enemy of God and he saved me. David says again in Psalm 63, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. God has put a song on your heart, a song of salvation. You are saved, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. That is something to sing about. So far, we have been talking about worship in terms of all of life. Romans 12, 1 says we are to be a living sacrifice. This is our reasonable act of worship or service. But the Bible is also full of references to our corporate, uh, corporate acts of worship where we gather together as the body of Christ and pray, and we sing, we study doctrine, and we fellowship. But specifically, let us just look for a bit here now at worship through music and singing. Psalm twenty two twenty two says, I will tell you, a tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I will praise you. Ephesians 5, 19. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another and all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. These aren't suggestions or preferences. These aren't just good ideas. They're commands to us, which means God intends for us to obey them. Did you know that there are over 400 references in the Bible to singing? You know that almost 50 times we're actually commanded to sing? I wanted to share this interesting quote from Martin Luther. It's back in the 1500s. Just keep that in mind as I'm reading this. This is from Martin Luther. It says, Next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. It controls our thoughts, our minds, our hearts and spirits. Our dear fathers and the prophets did not desire without reason that music be always used in the churches. Hence, we have that that music be always used in the churches. Hence, we have so many songs and 
hymns, this precious gift has been given to man along that he might thereby remind himself that God has created man for the express purpose of praising and extolling God. However, when man's natural musical ability is wedded and polished to the extent that it becomes an art, then do we note with great surprise the great and perfect wisdom of God in music, which is, after all, his product and his gift. We marvel when we hear music in which one voice sings a simple melody while three or four or five other voices play and trip lustily around the voice that sings its simple melody and adorn this simple melody wonderfully with artistic musical effects, thus reminding us of a heavenly dance where all meet in a spirit of friendliness, caress, and embrace. A person who gives the same thought and yet does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God must be a clodhopper indeed and does not deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. <laughs> this was the forward or preface to a hymnal of that day. And you can see where, where Martin Luther is coming from. And just, I know you're all trying to Google what a clodhopper is. It's an awkward, clumsy person who has large feet. So... So can I give you a few reasons this morning why it's important for us to sing in the midst of the congregation, other than Martin Luther might call you a clodhopper. But number one is singing is a matter of our hearts and not just our voices. Here's a quote from Ronald Allen who wrote a book on worship. He says, when a non-singer becomes a Christian, he or she becomes a singer. Not all are blessed with finely tuned ear and a well-modulated voice. So the sound may not be superb. It may even be out of tune and off-key. Remember, worship is a state of heart. Musical sound is a state of art. Let us not confuse them. We sing and make melody to the Lord with our hearts is what we read there in Ephesians 5.19. The sounds we make, of course, they're going to affect people around us for better or for worse. But God hears what no one else does. He hears that song of our heart, that song that he's put on your heart that new song when you became a Christian that he put on your heart, the reason you can sing, the song that we didn't originate, we can't even approve on it. It's, it's true that those who lead the singing in the temple and many times on the worship team, yes, of course, we're trained sometimes, we're skilled at what we do. But as you read through the rest of Scripture in Revelation chapter 5 or in, even in the early church, there's no references to the fact that those who worship had to worship with perfect voices. Even if we can't sing a note, we can still sing with our hearts. We used to tell my worship team in Budapest, the goal this morning is to make a joyful noise. That's what we want to do, make a joyful noise. My God is tone deaf. Give him your heart. That's what we want to do. Number two, singing helps us remember words. You know, what was the first thing the Israelites did when they crossed the Red Sea, if you remember that in the Old Testament? What was the first thing they did? Well, Moses' sister picks up a tambourine, and they wrote a song about it. They wrote a song about what God had just done. The horse and the rider had been thrown into the sea. And that song was sung for generation to generation. Music helps us remember what God has done. Many of the Old Testament prophets, they used to sing their prophecies so people would understand and remember what the prophecy was all about. John Newton, of course, who famously gave us Amazing Grace, he wrote many, 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 many hymns, not just Amazing Grace. Every week he would write a hymn for his congregation to go along with his sermon so they would remember what his sermon was about. Now, Nick hasn't asked me to do that, and so I hope he, he doesn't. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. You know, in the first century church, hymns and music were used to combat heresy. A lot of heresies were creeping into the church, and so they were songwriters writing songs with biblical truth, biblical doctrine 
that people would remember what the truth of God was about. In the early centuries, do you know where catechisms came from? Do you know where liturgies came from? Well, catechisms and liturgies were developed in the early centuries, 15, 16, 1700s, for illiterate peasants and farmers so that they would remember the truths of the gospel. They would remember what the Bible said about certain important things. It's so important. There's an interesting interview I watched with Matt Redman and at that time his pastor, Mike Pelavecki. And the interview, Matt was talking about the fact that he, he got a lot of his songs from Pastor Mike Pelavecki's sermons. And Pastor Mike kind of half, probably half jokingly, he says, well, how come I'm not as famous as you are? You know, you're getting all your material from me. But it's true, Matt Redman's song, he's writing, he's sitting there listening to the scripture, the truth. If you sing some of his songs, you just like, you know that he's dealt and he's, he's, he's wrestled with these truths and he's written them down. We can sing those songs now. And it helps us remember the truths of God. Number three, singing expresses and engages our emotions. In every culture, music is a language of emotion that helps us express what we feel. So David in Psalm 71, 23, he says, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also which you have redeemed. It's no secret that music moves the emotions. You know, we don't need to, to mince words there. Music moves the emotions. Music is powerful. It might be why the church has been so scared of it for, for centuries and centuries. We can either be emotionally affected by the world or we can be emotionally affected by biblical truth. Music helps us celebrate what, Jesus, what God has done in Psalm 92, 4. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I will sing for joy. Biblical truth mixed with beautiful melodies can have a powerful impact the gospel in our personal lives. Many times I have people come up to me after worship service and, you, and they would say, you know, if you sing this song in, next week, people are just going to get saved. I tell you what, and then I ask them, is that your salvation song? And of course, that's the song that was playing when they went forward or when they gave their lives to the Lord. There's this emotional attachment. It's powerful. And when that song plays, they go back to that time when they were saved and when God ripped them out of that miry clay. Earlier this year, I've been, I spent two months in San Diego and, and I was leading worship every, every Sunday, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday. And uh, of course, I've been in Hungary for... 20 some years and I don't I'm not up on the latest songs you know so I'm pulling songs from 20 years ago and so there's a lot of people come oh I love the songs you're picking takes me back to a day you know I'm like oh my gosh you know I'm dated here so you know I've been trying to learn a lot about what, what's the latest songs you know but yeah I'm, I'm way back stuck back you know 10 15 years things are slow in Hungary but people have emotional attachments they hear these songs that and and they they just can they relax, they rest in the Lord, and they respond to all that God has done for them. And finally, number four, singing together reflects and deepens our unity, our unity here in the gospel. You know, being together in one room is one way for us to express our unity, but singing together draws attention to that bond when, you, when we sing the same words at the same time. This is not a room of individuals having individual, personal, private worship experiences with God. We are the body of Christ. And there's a powerful thing that happens when the body of Christ comes together and we worship together. We encourage one another with the, with the word of God. 
And that's what Colossians exhorted us to do. We read that passage. It exhorts us to sing to one another. And sometimes I talk about it's a vertical and horizontal worship. Sometimes the worship, we're, we're singing to one another. We're exhorting one another. We're, we're building one another's faith up about what we're singing about. And then sometimes it's horizontal. Where we, I mean, yeah, that's horizontal. Vertical, yeah. Vertical, and we're singing to God. We're responding to God. We're saying, thank you, Lord. We're responding in our hearts. We're pouring out our hearts to him. You know, I used to be one of those eyes-closed worship leaders. And it was always funny. I would close my eyes at the beginning of worship and the room would be half full and then I'd open at the end of the worship. And magic, it's just like the room is full, you know? Like, where did all these people come from? It's always a surprise to me, you know? But over the years, I've just, there's songs that I felt like I need to be singing to you, you know? Give thanks to the Lord our God. His love endures forever. That's, God knows that. I need to tell you that. Give thanks to the Lord our God. His love endures forever, you know? Forever God is faithful, forever God is strong you know sometimes we just need to sing that to, and, and build we need we need to know those words and know that we're all in this together we're all in this together this church here in Longmont we're all in this together and then sometimes it's yeah we just pour out our hearts to God and say yes Lord we love you we, we adore you we want to serve you God you're so good and we and we close our eyes and we focus on the Lord there's a place for both and here at Whitefields and especially me as a worship pastor we want to be singing songs that reveal the character of God, that declare the gospel of Jesus and Christ, and then allow us to respond with all our mind, our will, and emotions, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And by doing that, it puts our souls at rest. We're in the presence of God because it's about Jesus and about what Jesus has done for us. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and i heard every creature in heaven and on earth and on the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped let's pray lord we're just so grateful for your word Lord, we're so grateful that you pulled us out of that miry clay and that you have set our feet upon the rock and you've put that new song in our hearts, Lord. And I just pray that you would help us sing that song, Lord, for your glory. And Lord, I just pray this morning for anybody here who has not responded to your spirit, Lord, Lord, that they would take this time and opportunity, Lord, just to give their lives over to you, Lord. That we would respond, Lord, to to your grace and to the work of your spirit in our lives. Lord, you are so good. And Lord, we thank you that we can come here at Whitefields with pure freedom and come and worship and to come and sing and to give our praise to you. Every week we have this place to come and pour out our hearts and say, God, you are our God and we want to worship you. And Lord, I just pray that we would just continue as week in and week out, as we continue to go through this year, Lord, that you would just continue to just build in our hearts, Lord, that song, that we can just continue to respond to all that you've done for us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.